child, do you guys ever remember playing a game where you would hear somebody say, Ollie, Ollie, oxen free? Raise your hand if you remember that as a kid. Okay. Raise your hand if you remember that as a kid but was not raised in the Midwest. Oh, okay. Brendan didn't know it. He's from Southern California. I heard mid-service that he never played games like that as a kid. Hide and seek and ditch and all those things. That's <laughs> what so someone told me. Is that true? He doesn't know what ditch and kick the can are. Who knows what ditch and kick the can are? Let's just shame Brendan here for a little bit. Okay, perfect, perfect. Cow tipping? You probably didn't do that either. He saw it in the movie once. Ollie, ollie, oxen free. What does it mean when you hear that? If you're playing ditch or kick the can or hide and seek and you hear ollie, ollie, oxen free, what does it mean? Come out. What else? Come in. (laughs) It's safe. That's right. It's safe. You can come out. You can be here. When Scott and I met, um, we were young. I was nine years old. Um, We had both of our families went to the lake for the weekends. So during the summer, um, that's what Minnesotans do if you can and if you have that um, if you have a cabin to go to you go on the weekends you take off Friday come home Sunday and you spend your summers at the cabin on the weekend so I was nine years old when my mom bought her place up at the lake up near Cambridge and my sister and I were out swimming in the lake we had shoes on because it was a lake is generous it was a mud hole and so we didn't want to touch the bottom because it was super mucky and gross and when I show you this picture, you're not going to believe. I just spit all over the place. When, you, when I show you this picture, you're not going to believe uh, that I didn't like the mud in the bottom of the lake because this is the gang I ran with and Scott and I ran with when we were kids. And this is a gang we would play ditch with and we would play hide and seek with and we would spend the summers from the time I was nine until, I don't know, until we got married, till last week, um, going to the lake. The red arrow is me. That's me over on the side, and that, that hunk of a man right here, that's my husband. And we were junior high, early high school, and we went down to the soybean fields and ran in the mud, and then that night, I'm sure, we sat around the fire all night long and never went to sleep. And that was how we grew up, going to the lake, doing that. And we would play the games where you would say, ollie, ollie, oxen free, when it was time to come out and it was time to be safe. And you, I remember being in the ditches and the weeds and there's just all kinds of places to be and you'd be hiding and you'd hear that. You could be a half a mile away because it was dark and you'd hear, ollie, ollie, oxen free. And I remember thinking, oh, I hope my team won. And we'd go running in. It seems like the, the phrase comes from a German phrase, alle, alle, oxen free. That's my German. Or Dutch, alle, alle, inkomvries. Yeah? Basically, in other words, it's what it's saying is the players who are hiding can come out on the open without losing the game. It's safe to come out. You can come out. When we look at today's text, which you'll have an insert in your bulletin that has the text on it, We're going to look at how the author of Hebrews is telling us Jesus, the greater than sacrifice, has made it safe for you to come out. It's made it safe for you to come near to him. 
It's made it safe for you to move on with God and be in close proximity with him, and you can't lose. You can't lose. So starting um, chapter 10, verse 1. We have, for since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Notice these words. The law can never make perfect. It was God's plan. He's the one who set up the law. But the author of Hebrews is now saying what God set up, the law, can never make perfect. In these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins. They lived in a time where every year they did these sacrifices of atonement and they would have to remember their sins and then go into the priest would go into the Holy of Holies from the tribe of Levite and they would do the sacrifices to get rid of the sin. But it was a time, it was done, scripture tells us, for you to remember your sin. It was Old Testament, Jesus came to fulfill that, but how many of us still live there? How many of us still live in a place where we get this? Remember your sin. Where we get, don't forget what you did. Don't forget how you talked about that person behind their back. Don't forget how you didn't feed the homeless or take care of the widows. Don't forget the hate and the lust in your heart. Don't forget it. You always have to be reminded of it. And what does that do to us when we're reminded of that over and over and over again, either from our own minds, from the world, or from the enemy? What happens? It shackles us. It puts us in a place where we can't move forward. So it's a direct tactic, in my opinion, of the enemy that says, don't forget, remember your sins. I'm going to take what God made for the Israelites that was good and I'm going to use it I'm going to keep using it and I'm going to keep you in bondage to that even though this once and for all sacrifice has been made remember your sins remember don't forget don't forget how often do we find ourselves still living in this continuous accusation verse 5 if you look at your sheets in your notes it says consequently when Christ came into the world he said Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. The author is taking something that the audience would know, the Psalms, and he says, Let's look at this. And then I love what he does next. He explains it. I love it when Jesus does that with the parables. He sells a parable and it's kind of like, a, like, okay, I'm not exactly sure what you're saying here. And then he explains it. He goes, okay, now let me tell you what it means. The author of Hebrews does this. And he says, when he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. 
he explains it. He says, he does away with the first in order to establish the second, and by that we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. He's saying, they used to do this to remember their sins every year, every year, every year. But look how greater then it is now. Because Jesus came and did that so we don't have to live in that place of remembering every year. And for a lot of us, every day, maybe even every hour, when life kind of gets heavy. In verse 11, it goes on and says, and every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet, for by a single offering, a single offering of Jesus Christ on the cross, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. What does it mean to be sanctified? It means to be set apart. That's like the Webster definition. It needs to be, means to be set apart. It means to be made holy. It means to be made one with Christ. So at the time that you come into a living relationship with Jesus Christ, you're sanctified. You are set apart. You are called his. And we are also being sanctified. You see the language there? It says that we are being sanctified. That means that we're still in the process of looking more and more like Jesus as we walk through this life. The author is saying the game's finished. The author is saying you can come into the open and you can't lose. It's been done. It's finished. The holy of holies has been unveiled. That's what the author is saying to us. So we have this truth. It is true, right? Jesus died on the cross. It's done. It's finished. Would you agree that that's true? Would you agree that we don't have to remember our sins anymore? We don't have to make sacrifices anymore. The Lord does not want sacrifices, but an offering of who we are. Then why is it that we still live there sometimes in the shadow of sin, in the shadow of what was old and not the the newness of this truth because we know it's truth. Jesus was the final sacrifice. We are in Christ winners. Because we are in Christ, we've won. But how do we reconcile that with the fact that sometimes it feels like we're losing? It's like this. We have this this old, the law can never make perfect. Remember your sins. That's on, on one side of our mind, just you know, on sh- one shoulder. And the other is we've been sanctified through the offering of Jesus Christ once for all. And we live in that tension of that. And can you feel that sometimes? Where you want to live in the freedom of knowing Jesus Christ made the once and for all sacrifice, but sometimes you step into this place that's miry and hard and difficult and, and it's not easy to be there. It's almost like evil. You know, what do we do about that? What do we do about the truth, but yet in the space between our reality and the truth sometimes? We want to live there. We want to have value. We want to have significance. We want to do something meaningful with our lives. We want to be seen. These are all longings the Lord has given us. Well, here's what I think. I think the enemy thinks he won. I think when the enemy was looking at Jesus on the cross, he said, what do you got now, Jesus? Did you make, you know, I won. I got this. I won. That's what I think. And I think he continues to accuse us. 
And I think he continues to bring us that place. And that's his evil. It's his evil doing. And I don't think everything that is bad in the world is of the devil. I think that we live in a fallen world. We're, We're wasting away. We're not made to be permanent. People are not made to be permanent. We're wasting away. And we live in a fallen world that's broken. And we hurt each other. And there's all kinds of reasons why there's sickness and death and, and different things. But what do we do with that? How do, we, how do we look to Jesus all the time and live in a place that has more freedom than where we are today? My friend Heidi, uh, last week... She called me and she said, will you please pray for my family? My aunt and uncle live in southwestern Minnesota and there was a house fire and they died. They were 73 and 75 and they loved Jesus. So they're in a good place. But it's hard. It's really hard. Will you pray for them? I said, absolutely, Heidi, I'll pray for them. And then she called me the next day and she said, Sharon, you're not going to believe this, but my aunt and uncle, they they didn't die in an accidental fire. Someone came into their house, in their farmhouse, and murdered them. They killed them, and they found them. Um, They had a few of their shotguns, and and they had, had some car keys or something like that. So they found them, but they were killed. And then they went back the next day and started the fire to cover up evidence, which really doesn't work, does it, anymore? If you watch enough CSI, you know that doesn't work anymore. But I said to Heidi, I said, how are you feeling? Because it would be easy to go, well, that's just evil in the world. But how do we enter into that and really feel it and allow Jesus to meet us there? So I asked her, I said, what's going on, Heidi? What's going on? Dig deep. What's going on in your core? And she said, I'm frustrated. I'm angry. I'm sad. I'm numb because I can't believe somebody would do this and kill two old people in a farmhouse in southwest Minnesota. Sometimes when evil is far away and you look at things across the world, famine, ISIS, war, you know, it, it, we can be kind of numb to it and detached from it. But when it hits you right in the face, it becomes very real. So what do you do with that? Sometimes we'll want just relief. How do you get relief from that, you guys? You'll have to answer that. I don't know. It might be that you would ignore it. It might be that you would choose not to go there, not to feel it, not to think about it. It might be that you would go turn to an old vice, drinking, drugs, I don't know, pornography, whatever helps you escape and eliminate having to face it. But here's what I think. I think relief is the lesser choice. I think the better choice is sanctification. I think the better choice is entering into it with the Lord so that you can go to a place where you're free from it and you're not just numbing it and escaping it and ignoring it. And entering into that pain is a hard doorway. You think, I'm not going there because it's going to be too hard, but it's actually the doorway to freedom. And it's the doorway to sanctification. And the doorway to true transformation that will bring you to a different place to live in more freedom and less bondage than if you just ignored it. Now intellectually, it's easy to say that. Oh, of course, that's exactly what we need to do. But how do we do it? When I was preparing for the message, I just kept asking the Lord that. I said, Lord, how do we do that? How do, what's the answer? 
What do I say? I don't even know what the answer is. How do we live in that tension? And how do we get free from that? Because experientially, it's a whole new ball game than just saying it with, you know, giving it lip service and saying, well, I know that I'm supposed to just trust that Jesus is on the throne and everything is great. <laughs> I don't think that's what the Lord wants for us. He doesn't want us to convince ourselves with our own will that we're all okay. I think he wants us to really live in freedom. He wants us to really know him who is truth and the truth will set us free. Now listen to this. this, is, this we hear this a lot, but I really, really mean this. The answer is proximity with Jesus and proximity with each other. It's how we get there. How are you doing with getting into the presence of the Lord? How are you doing with letting other people into your life? Those are two really hard things to live out. The more you do it, the easier it gets. The more you run through the woods in the middle of the night trying to escape someone tagging you, the more you know where not to step and where the trees are falling and how to jump and how to get around. So the more you get into the proximity of Jesus and the more that you get into the proximity with each other and let other people in, that's it. Last week, Brendan talked about God just saying, let me love you. Let me love you. We have to fight sometimes to get to that proximity because it's easy to detach, it's easy to escape, and it's easy to not look. Um, Heidi's na- uh, the na- neighbor of Heidi's aunt and uncle Um, sent Heidi this picture and said, Heidi, look what I found in your aunt's yard. It was floating in the yard because it it was burnt because of the fire. This is the actual picture of the page. And look what it says. As Jesus' disciples, we must reveal him to the world in every conceivable way through every area of our lives. That's our mission as Christians. And it's an urgent one because there are people who will never see Jesus at all if they don't see him through us. It is of utmost importance for every child of God to get connected and stay connected to the master plan. We simply cannot afford to disconnect. We must become aware of the dangers and deceptions the devil uses to draw us off course and determined to conquer them at any cost. Are you determined to conquer it at any cost? Do you think it's worth it? Is it worth it to fight for proximity with Jesus and and proximity with each other? I say yes. It's the only way we get transformation. It's the only way is being with Jesus and with each other. And through that journey of life and through that pilgrimage that we're all on together, it happens. And sometimes we don't know. You know, we used to cook frog legs at the lake. You'd, we'd, we'd, go, we'd go catch the frogs, bring them into the mom, bring them into your mom, and they'd clean them. I'll save you the details. And, and uh, tie the legs together and throw them in a pan and then slowly turn up the heat. And they were good. We would eat them. And so sometimes you don't know how the Lord is working in your life until you look back and go, oh my gosh, I'm not who I used to be. Thank God I'm not who I used to be. But I just stand here to say, trust him. Because he will change you. 
We serve a God who changes us and does not leave us where we're at. And it's worth it, and it's magnificent, and it's wonderful. The last verse of this, of this passage says, And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. And then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. So we have something that says, we see a change, we see a transformation, we see this metamorphosis of what was into what is, and remember your sins becomes remember no more. And our proximity with Jesus and our proximity with each other as brothers and sisters in Christ as we pilgrimage together, that's what gets us, that's the how. That's the how. That's why we provide so many opportunities here at Bridgewood and we'll continue to provide them and build upon them to connect. That's why we encourage you to walk across the room and say, do you want to go get a cup of coffee? Listen to who the Lord is highlighting for you. Is he shining a light on somebody and you just can't stop thinking about them? Go ask him out for coffee. It, it seems so simple, but yet it's so difficult. And we know that. We're in this together. We know that it's hard. But the truth is, you can't lose. You can't lose because it's already been won. It's like Jesus is up there saying, Ollie, Ollie, oxen free. Come on out. It's safe. I did it. I won. And that makes you a winner too. You can't lose. Ollie, Ollie, oxen free. I think Jesus is screaming it. He's saying, come near to me. Come be with me. Come close to Jesus. You've won. It's safe. It's safe. And then together, that how will happen. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you call us unto you. Thank you that you beckon us to be in close proximity with you. Lord, I pray that you would increase our understanding of how valuable that is and how that sets us free. That you are the one that when we are with you, you set us free. There's no other way. There's no other way. Lord, I pray today that if you are calling us to be closer to you, that you would show us how if it's a little change in our schedule, if it's a little posture change, um, if you just want us to sit like we're sitting under the waterfall of your love and just let you love us, whatever it is, Lord, will you show us and speak to us and tell us what you need so that you can do the work you need to do in us. We love you, Jesus. I also pray over the offering, Lord, that you would multiply it to do your work that we would become a church that would, would dare to venture into this journey with you so that others can see you through us. Would you multiply the resources, Lord, so that we can do your work and that it would honor you in Jesus' name. Amen.